0: We're going we're to study some Torah today. Because that's what we do. lotcha Say it with me. Baha. Baha. alotcha. It means when you, when you kindle the lamps, when you put up the lamps. That's how this portion in Numbers starts. If you, who has read the Torah portion this week? Okay, good. If you haven't, you really need to. Because, uh, especially after today, you'll see some things that you've never seen before. And it starts, of course, with what I just said, b'chalotcha, bringing Aaron the instructions for lighting the menorah, bringing light, bringing light. But Numbers is actually a very, very dark book for the people of Israel. Um, There's a lot that goes on in this book with a very boring name. Who wants to read a book called Numbers? I mean, and that's what it starts with. Numbers, all these counting and tribes. But, you know, it's the, the Hebrew name of the book is not Numbers. The Hebrew name of the book is what? Bamidbar. That's the book of Numbers, but it's not Numbers. It's Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness, which is a much better name for the subject matter that's going on here for Israel. That is the right name, a barren, dry, difficult place. And that's where Israel finds themselves. So let's set the stage real quick for those who didn't, haven't read it yet. They have set out from Mount Sinai They've been there for a little while after the exodus, after the giving of the Torah. And Moses gets the direction. So they moved on from the mountain of the Lord, three days journey with the Ark of the Covenant, of the Lord going in front of them. And then it comes that this is the place in the Torah where it says, so haron, And Moses is saying, Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. And they're taking off and they're headed. And when the Ark settles, you know, there's this, all this excitement that happens And they're on the way to the land. We're going. The cloud is leading us. And then in the very next chapter, now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord heard them and his anger was kindled. Now the rabble who were among them had greedy cravings, and the sons of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat for free in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Millions of people eating like that. Anyway, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. And the normal response, it just happened in the gym yesterday, I was talking to this guy about something else and he told me, I don't want to be like Israel. I don't want to be like Israel who gets all this incredible stuff happens to them and then turns their back and walks away. I want to read you a quick story. Rabbi Mishulam, a Sephardic sage, was an Arabian king's personal physician. The king challenged him, your ancestors were very ungrateful people. They possessed the manna, distinguished food resembling the food of angels. How could they then complain about missing melons or garlic? To which the rabbi responded, I'll give you an answer tomorrow. When his consultation with the king ended, Rav Meshulam quietly walked to the royal kitchen, commanded the cook, I, the head physician, order you to put the king on a special diet. Tomorrow he is not to be served with garlic in any any of his food. After dinner, the king regularly ate garlic. On the next day, he was not served any garlic. He summoned the chief cook, reprimanded him for his negligence. I received these orders from the Jewish physician, answered the cook. The king summoned Rav Meshulam and said to him angrily, don't you know that I am not relaxed unless I have garlic after the meal? Why did you order that I not be served any? My master, my king, Rav Meshulam answered gently, May your ears hear what your lips just stated. You complain because for a single meal you lacked garlic, which you customarily eat. For 40 years my ancestors were deprived of their normal food and subsisted only on manna. How could they not have complained? Your words are true and your Torah is true, the king acknowledged. You don't get to criticize. You just don't. You don't know. You don't know what they lived like. We are not allowed to condemn. We can't really relate to what the people are experiencing. And yet, we need to learn from the lessons. We need to learn some doozy lessons, actually, from who are called the mitonim, or the mitonenim. The mitonanim, which means the grumblers, the complainers, And someone just said, oh, man, not another message about complaining and gratitude and all that junk. This one's for you. But I do want to, I want to just catch you up a little bit. I told you, it started right there with the, the people seeking complaints. It was evil in the ears of Hashem. Hashem heard, his wrath flared. A fire of God burned against them. It consumed the edge of the camp. The people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to Hashem and the fire died down. He named that place Tibera. Burning conflagration for the fire of Hashem had burned against them And then the thing about the rabble The rabble was among them, cultivated a craving They wept again, we want all this stuff And then the Torah explains how great manna was And why they shouldn't have been complaining But they complained And Moses heard the people weeping in their family groups Each one at the entrance of his tent And the wrath of Hashem flared greatly And in the eyes of Moses, it was bad And Moses said this, why have you done evil to your servant? Have I not found favor in your eyes that you place the burden of this entire people on me? Did I conceive this entire people or did I give birth to it that you say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling to the land that you swore to its forefathers? Where shall I get meat to give this entire people when they weep to me? saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone cannot carry this entire nation, for it is too heavy for me. And if this is how you deal with me, then kill me now, if I have found favor in your eyes, and let me not see my evil. Hashem said to Moses, I'm going to give you some help. Gather 70 elders from Israel who you know to be the elders of the people and its officers. Take them to the tent of meeting. Have them stand there with you. I'll descend. I'll speak with you. I'll increase some of the spirit that's upon you. Place it upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you. And you shall not bear it alone. To the people you shall say, prepare for yourselves tomorrow. And you shall eat meat. And then he says, you're going to eat meat for a month and all this stuff. And, and then Moses says, 600,000 foot soldiers are the people in whose midst I am. Yet you say, I shall give them meat and they shall eat for a month of days. Hashem said to Moses, is the hand of God limited? Now you will see whether my word comes to pass. Moses left and he spoke the words to the people and the 70 of the elders stood around the tent. Hashem descended in a cloud, spoke to him. He increased some of the spirit that was upon Moses, gave it to the 70 men, the elders. When the spirit rest upon them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, the other was Midad, and the spirit rested upon them. They had been among the recorded ones, but they had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. The youth ran and told Moses, he said, Eldad and Midad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of Moses, since his youth, spoke up and said, My Lord Moses, stop them, jail them, incarcerate them. Moses said to him, Are you being zealous for my sake? Would that the entire people of Hashem could be prophets if Hashem would but place his spirit upon them. And Moses was brought into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. So that's the background. You needed it for what I'm going to tell you. Bamidbar, the wilderness, it's aptly named. But this is not the first time in the wilderness Exodus, there were complaints in Exodus too, a fair number of them, some even very familiar sounding. The sons of Israel said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread until we were full, for you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. But God didn't burn anyone or kill anyone or burn anything or like his wrath didn't flare And that just happened. And what happened? The answer. They were answered. They received food and they got water and all kinds of stuff because there's this very significant difference. And I'm drawing from a bunch of sources in this teaching, but primarily from a tremendous one by Rav Moshe Lichtenstein. In Exodus, I want you to I want you to think of where they were. The people were in danger. They were faced with great uncertainty. They had just come out of being slaves. Now they're wandering through the desert, not knowing what is happening, where anything is coming from. Yes, they should have trusted God, but they're fresh out of Egypt. They had legitimate issues and genuine concerns. And so... God was sensitive to that, and he answered these prayers, and things get settled in the middle of Exodus. And there are no other complaints until right now in the book of Numbers. Think of everything that's happened, Exodus, the manna, water, giving of the Torah, clouds, parting of the seas, play all this stuff. The complaining stopped in Exodus, and here it starts again. Even numbers actually started well up until this point. The assembly of the tribes, the counting, everything. And now, as I just said, they're getting ready to move off to, into the promised land. And the nation sets out, and then this. This wilderness is different. And here the complaint resurfaces. And this time, the Torah describes this and says, the people began to complain and it was ra, evil in God's eyes. That word is not used in Exodus. Here, it is described as wrath. His wrath flared. Whoa, why? What's different? We're not even told at this point what they're complaining about. And there's an important reason why that is. It doesn't matter what they were complaining about. The point is that the people had changed. This was not about their basic needs or the provision. The manna had fallen for a year. They've had food. They've had water. They've maintained health and safety, been through attacks and survived. They met God on the mountain. They know they're following his lead to the land of Israel, and yet It's evil in his ears, why? Because it's raw, it's evil, it's un-ingratitude. It is a people who are not thankful. And now it's not, oh, we need basic provisions, it's we don't like what you're doing and we want something better than that. And that is their general attitude, negative, volatile, unconfident. And this, you know, I was talking about it in Shakrit this morning. There's this little section in the middle of the Torah right now. When you read this Torah portion, you come into the Hebrew and there's two nun, nunim, ends, that surround one little section of the book. It is like the pivot point in the story of Israel. There's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, first part of Numbers. And then in the text of the Torah, this little thing where it says, And that's, that was supposed to be the point at which the Shekhinah, the, the, the presence of God was going to go with them. But afterwards, it's all downhill. This starts. Because they changed. They were Ungrateful. But there's a much more significant difference to note, and that is in Moses himself. And this is the crux of our material, though that took a little bit to get to. From this point forward in the book of Numbers, you will see a different Moses than you have seen up to this point. Moses behaves uncharacteristically here in the wilderness And it begins with that response that I told you about the mitoninim But he's talking to God in a very unimaginable way When I was young, if I talked to my dad like that, things didn't go very well for me (laughs) You expect me to do it? How How am I supposed to do this? You're telling me, where am I supposed to get all this meat? What's up, man? It's basically what Moses is saying to the creator of the universe who's given him an instruction. And that's very, very out of character for Moses. The heading of this section in the the New American Standard reads, The Complaint of Moses. It's not quite that easy. And Judaism has a lot to say about this episode. But Moses, again, he says, if you are going to deal with me this way, please Kill me now. If I have found favor in your sight, do not let me see this misery, my misery, he says. Now, I want you to think, thinking of this Moses, I want you to think back to a time when Moses also had to do something for the people. It was also in the book of Exodus. It was also after a great, tragic misstep by the people. It's the golden calf. Remember it? He's on the mountain. He was away when it happened. This time he's there. But what was his response? Sorry, guys. Fire's coming, burning hell. Not at all. Moses, that's the story of Yom Kippur. That's the story of Moses interceding for the people going up and down the mountain. I'm going to go, I'm going to try. God, you please remember your promises to your ancestors. Don't neglect your people. Don't, don't. Don't do it. Please be God. Be the God you said you are. But now for the first time, for the first time, Moses prays for himself, not for the people. I don't care about them. What am I supposed to do? It's me, God. What am I supposed to do? How do you expect me to do this? And he justifiably has turned away from the people because he knows their behavior is completely unsupportable. There's nothing he can do. But his turn, he has in some degree lost faith in these people. God, I can't do this. Just kill me. Now, if you read the commentaries, and there are many, Moses has a number of pure and holy reasons for doing the things he does. And in no way, ever, no way am I belittling, disrespecting, minimizing Moshe. But from a practical and logical read, what Moses is saying is, please don't make me do this. Take this burden off of me. Take me out of here, God. Which is so radically different than the Moses we've seen up to this point, right? I don't want to. I can't. I can't even imagine watching Moses. The Torah says, in the eyes of Moses, it was bad. I can imagine Moses just standing there, like, with this tear running down his eye. His address to God was not disrespectful. It was a broken hearted, humble man who had given everything to get these people here. And on some level, I think at that moment, he knew they are not going in. This thing is kind of over and that broke his heart. And, and it makes some sense out of this text. If you're going to deal with me this way, please kill me now, for I found, if I have found favor in your sight, don't let me see my misery. Don't make me watch this, God. Don't make me watch this failure. Just take me out. And sadly, we know that God did do that he did take moses out and i have answered for myself this week through this torah study and this preparation one of the most difficult difficulties in the torah that i read and it's in the book of numbers and it's a few parsha parshot away and you'll remember it moses is told to speak to a rock so that what will happen, that water will come forth. And what does Moses do? He hits the rock more than once, twice. And I have always said, with all that he has done, seriously, God? Because he hit a rock twice, you're not going to let him in? Because of that? Well, here's what I realized. That started right here. This was the transition point for our beloved Moshe Rabbeinu. And I think, you know, maybe next week with the spies or the following week with the conflict with Korach or the following week with the rock that kept him out, I can elaborate a little. But simply, I think Moses, the most humble man in history, our teacher, prophet, guide, sage, deliverer, leader, inspirer, became a casualty that day of the grumblers, the mitonenim. In that wilderness that is called Kibroth Hata'ava, the grave of longing is the place that that is called in the Torah. Something died that day, more than just the people. Something great died in Moses. Moses asked to be removed. And I'm sh- he regretted it later, like he said, because of you people, I can't go in. He regretted it, but, but God wasn't mad at him. And, and his, his response to God was not sarcasm. It was not overreaction. I believe Moses saw the future. He was a great prophet of this generation and possibly of his own. But there's such an interesting confirmation connection that what we find in this strange conclusion to this story. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord that they were you're going to be able to eat meat like the pigs that you are. God's going to give it to you. You can you can fill your cheeks like bugs bunny with meat. You're going to have it. And he also gathered the 70 men and positioned them around the tent. The Lord came down in the cloud, spoke to them, took the spirit, placed it upon the 70 elders. When the spirit rested, they prophesied. What did they prophesy? Well, the, te- the, the sages tell us they prophesied about what was going to happen with the meat the next day. But the text says clearly, well, it's not clearly. There's a debate. But the, summer, the conclusion by many is that they prophesied, yet they did not do it again. That was God's answer to Moses in the natural sense. Gather me, 70 elders, I'll give you some help. But two men, remember their names? Eldad and Medad. Stayed in the camp. The Spirit rested upon them. They were among those who had been registered. In other words, they were part of the drawing of the 70 that were going to go out. But they didn't go out. They, they, what is it when you don't do something? Disobeyed, it would seem. Moses' instruction. I don't know the word because I never do it. <laughs> kidding. Very much kidding. Give me a minute. Sorry. Okay. Eldad and Medad stayed. The Spirit rested upon them. But they had not gone out and they prophesied in the camp. Eldad, anyone ever wondered about these two guys? It's a weird story. Why did they stay? What did they prophesy? Why did Joshua get so mad? I mean, and, and they didn't get some of Moses' spirit. What spirit did they actually get? Because I thought Moses was dishing that out. Well, based on everything I just shared with you about Moses and what was going on for him and all that possibly transpired you there, let me introduce you to Eldad and Medad. Rav Lichtenstein says, Eldad and Midad sense a developing gap between Moses and the people. How? How could they have sensed that? Well, it says they prophesied, but it also could be that maybe they saw Moses in absolute turmoil about what was going on. And they observed that he did not do the things that the Exodus Moses did. They observed, he says, this this, um, developing gap. Moses can no longer bear the burden. He can't understand the attitude of the people. He condemns it entirely. And as we discussed... This was confirmed by his unwillingness to intercede even at the end of the story after the meat has been poured out and they've, well, it says while the meat was still in their teeth, God started striking them down. Did Moses intercede? Did he say, please stop it? He didn't. Because he was incredibly discouraged and disappointed. They stayed in the camp and they prophesied with the spirit that they received directly from God. There was no, here, Moses, give me a little bit of that spirit. 70 here, 70 here. They're in the camp and God places directly upon them his spirit. What did they prophesy? Well, here's where it gets really good. The Talmud, the Midrash, Rashi supports this as well. Sanhedrin 17a. Eldad and Midad being prophets. The Gemara asks, and what prophecy did they prophesy? They said, Moses will die. And Joshua will bring the Jewish people into Eretz Israel. Did you hear what I just said? Moses loses faith in the people to, agree to a degree in himself. He says, I can't do this. Take it from me. So he gets help from the 70 elders. They go out to the tent of beating and prophesy. We don't exactly know what they prophesied, but we know that it ended. They didn't keep doing it. Eldad and Medad were not rebels. They were revered. They were humble elders in their own right. They stayed in the camp. They received a filling of the spirit directly from God himself, and they prophesy. And what did they prophesy? Moses is not our guy. Something has changed out here. Joshua will take us in. We're a long way from the land, you realize, at this point. Which now you can understand what happens next. A young man ran and informed Moses and said, Eldad, Medad, they're prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the personal servant of Moses from his youth, responded and said, Moses, stop them. Do you know what they're saying? But we see classic Moses return right here. Are you jealous for my sake, Joshua. If only all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit upon them, then Moses went back to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. In other words, Joshua, they're right. They're right. If only everyone could hear so clearly from the Lord. If only everyone was capable of receiving the spirit. I'm afraid they're hearing correctly, Joshua. And this was a great moment of tragedy in Israel's history. The great Moses will not lead us in. The anger of Joshua versus the humility of Moses, still and always a good leader, Moses accepts it. We are not going in. It started here, not at the rock that Moses struck. God is not that arbitrary. And that's an answer to something that has troubled me much of my life. Eldad and Midad were not punished. Here in this wilderness of ingratitude, the opposite, actually, the Midrash Tanhuma says that the other elders predicted what was going to happen while these two predicted the distant future. They kept on prophesying. Their names are the only ones that get mentioned in the Torah. The others received a portion of the spirit from Moses. They received theirs directly from heaven. And here, most importantly, Eldad and Midad Everyone else, all the other elders, died in the wilderness. These two led their tribes into the land of Israel. And from this point forward, we'll begin to see other heroes rising up. Joshua, Pinchas. How could this happen to Moses? Well, I can tell you from experience, especially as a leader, being around grumblers and complainers and ingrates takes a toll. I can tell you that for sure. And when you're surrounded by it, when you're involved by it, you begin to lose your purpose, your motivation, your mission. most Most importantly, if you are not careful, you become one of them. You become one of the mitoninim. You lose sight of the miracle. You stop being grateful, and potentially you miss the full blessing. God is not mad at Moses. Moses finishes very strong, doesn't he? Who buries Moses? Who who is with Moses when he dies? Moses, the servant of Adonai, died there in the land of Moab as was from the mouth of Adonai. Then he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows of his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his vigor gone. But something was gone. He was still 120-year-old Moses. Because Moses is human. And eventually we are affected by our surroundings, those we surround ourselves with. So there are two, three, actually, takeaways from our Torah study, and this is the conclusion. You ready? They're quick. One, Jewish tradition and interpretation of the text, the Midrash, the background, the discussions of 3,500 years around God's Torah can show you some amazing things about your life, about the text, and things that you never knew before. Don't forget that when someone tells you those stupid, dirty rabbis. No, it's not true. Number two, and this is a big thing. Moses is not the Messiah. As much as we love, respect, honor, and elevate this man, this first redeemer, there is only one who has ever actually been able to withstand all of the grumblers and the complainers and the haters and the killers, everything they could throw at him, only one bore the burdens and could handle it, came through on his promise to ultimately bring us into the land by his merit, not ours. Moses said, I can't do it. Just kill me. Yeshua said, I can do it. Just kill me. It gives you a whole new understanding of Moses' words as the Torah comes to a close. The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, your countrymen. To him, you must listen. Yeshua said, well, here's what I think he would want you to hear from today, because takeaway number three is this. Don't let them get you down. The world is full of ingrates, grumblers, complainers, miserable people. And sometimes you'll be called to work with them, interact with them. Maybe they're in your own family. I don't know. Do your best. Do your best. But don't ever, ever let them suck you in. Rise above it. As evidenced by our beloved Moshe, even the greatest among us are not immune. But above all, never, ever, ever, if I had a mirror, if I had a mirror, never, ever, ever, Become one of them. Become a grumbler, a complainer, an ingrate, a metoninim. You will miss the beauty of this life. You will miss so much. And you will miss so much blessing that surrounds you every single day. If you can't see it. Just ask those buried in the desert. As our portion tells us, raise a light, be a light, shine a light. Be grateful, be thankful, be ever looking for the good in yourself, in others, in the world that surrounds you. And when a challenge comes, tackle it, but raise a light. Be a light. And remember it. I have overcome the world, he said. Moses said, Listen to him. Shabbat shalom.